Amen. Uh, so the last six weeks, we have been going through uh, the series called The Seven Shaping Virtues. And these are virtues we as a Sovereign Grace Church, together with our family of churches, desire to be present and displayed in our lives and in our church communities. So we have looked at six virtues so far, and today we will be wrapping up our series with the last one of the virtues, joy. Um, just think about this for a moment. Let's just say, you know, like we have thermometers that measures how hot it is outside. Uh, if there is a joy meter that measures how much joy that you have in your heart, what would that look like? What would that show? Will it be like low, medium, high? I know we're all coming from different um, uh, phases in life and uh, throughout this week. So it might have a different readings if we take a measurement across this room. A few months ago, we as a family went to Florida for our spring break vacation. And so Susan had done all this uh, ton of research, find the best deal. We had this week-long cruise uh, to Caribbean and Mexico. And uh, my thought was, wow, this is going to be amazing, right? It's a nice cabin, uh, connected uh, cabins overlooking the ocean, unlimited supply of food for a whole week. We would all be a big, happy family, right? <laughs> but the reality happened then, right? It was more like the movie Cheaper by the Dozen, the original <laughs> one, if you had watched it. You know, at least the first day there was whining and complaining and arguing about the rooms and the food and all this kind of stuff. To be fair, um, the first day looked like forever standing in the ticketing line. We were all hungry and tired, so it kind of makes sense. But sometimes that's how our Christian life feels like, doesn't it? You know, we know that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings uh, in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. And we know that we should be joyful, but there are plenty of things in this fallen world that we live in that can kill our joy. Broken relationships, injustice, grief, discouragement, sickness, financial instability, and on and on. So for the next few minutes that we have in front of us, we are going to look at God's Word to inform our hearts to see, is it possible to have joy in this world? And if it is, what is the basis of our joy? And how do we identify the joy killers uh, in my life and in your life? And how can we have joy in the midst of suffering and, and death and loneliness and things like that? But before we get started, let's uh, look at exactly what do we mean by this virtue, joy? Is it just an emotion? Or is it something that some people with a certain you know, personality type have? What exactly is this? Joy. But before we get to that, let's clarify what it is not. I'm sure most of us have heard this uh, distinction made between happiness and joy. And, and happiness is this you know, fleeting emotion that is based on our circumstances. And, and joy is this something more deeper and, and spiritual and uh, enduring. And uh, I'm sure some of us would remember the Sunday school song, I've got joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. But, but when we look at the scriptures, the, the Word of God doesn't actually make a, a distinction between happiness and joy. There are so many words in Greek and Hebrew that, that, that convey this idea of gladness and rejoicing and, and having delight and desire and pleasure, and, and they are all used interchangeably. 
So if you look at some of the scriptures, Psalm 16, 9 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And Luke 1, 14, And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So when we talk about joy, this Christian virtue, I think we can define it something like this. It's the gladness of heart in God through the gospel of Jesus Christ produced by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. It's the gladness of heart in God through the gospel of Jesus Christ produced by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. So we are going to unpack this idea throughout the sermon, and we're going to look in, in three um, steps. What if, the first thing is we're going to look at what is the basis of our joy, and how do we live a joyful life, and finally, why do we need this virtue, joy, in our life? So the first one, what is the basis of our joy? So is this joy or this virtue, is this something that depends on us? Is it something within us? Is it based on our accomplishments? And some of us get joy when we have a productive day, when you check off all those to-do lists, right? Uh, or maybe some of you, when you hit the gym three times a week, you're, you're joyful. And so, but is it based on what, um, uh, in us or what we do? But the three things that we are going to look at is our joy is based on who God is and what He has done and going to do for us in Christ Jesus. So the first thing, the first basis of our joy is God. It all starts with God, isn't it? The reason why we are even wired to, to seek joy and, and long for joy is because the, we are created in the image of God and who is a God of joy himself. You know, 1 Timothy 1.11 talks about the gospel of the glory of blessed God. The word blessed in Greek has this idea of joy and happiness. Our God is a happy God. And, and even within Trinity, there is this sweet communion and fellowship, even within the Trinity. And the Son, God the Son, rejoices or delights in, in doing the will of the Father. And the Father delights, God the Father delights in His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, there is this quote uh, in the book, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, where he quotes uh, Richard of St. Victor. He says this, Being perfectly loving from all eternity, the Father and the Son have delighted to share their love and joy with and through the Holy Spirit. So we can see from eternity, God is a joyous God. Amen? And, and God delights in His Son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus was baptized, we all know the story, when the heavens opened and, and there was this voice from heaven where God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we can relate to that, right? Once uh, I was at Nathan's soccer game and one of the players on his team scored a goal and not just a goal, but he made a couple of soccer, cool soccer moves. Immediately, his mom, who was standing right next to me, started jumping and saying, that's my son, that's my son. And it, it was just a spontaneous, uh, in-the-moment reaction that she had when, his, when, his, when her son uh, did, this, did this thing. So I'm not saying, you know, God's, when God spoke from heaven, it was something trivial like this, but in the gladness of God's heart, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. And, and God not only delights or, ple or is pleased with His Son, 
but he also rejoices over his people. Uh, in, in the book of Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Now, just let that sink in for a moment, right? The God of the universe who created all things, the maker of heavens and the earth, rejoices over you if you are his child. He exalts over you with singing. Can you imagine that? You know, sometimes we have this idea of God is this grumpy old man who's, you know, sitting in heaven and constantly upset with his people. Why can't you get this right? But no, our God, the God that we serve and worship, he's a God full of joy. And he rejoices over his people. And, but God, uh, you know, does not contain his joy, and it is not only contained within the Trinity, but the joy that is contained within this Trinity overflows out of him. In fact, the creation itself is in one sense the expression and manifestation of God's joy. You know, I think this idea of joy is hidden in the verse in Genesis where, when God said, let us uh, make man in our own image and likeness. And the reason I say that is like, you know, kids who are here with us today, you know, think about this for a moment. If you are together with your friends, right, and you want to have fun, and you tell, look at each other and say, hey, let's go to the park. Let's go jump on the trampoline or the pool. Or would you say, let's go jump on the trampoline or let's go to the park, right? So there is that emotion of joy when we say, let's go do something fun. And... I'm not making this up because we get a sneak peek of this in the book of Job where you kind of get behind the curtain a view of what happened when God created everything through His Son, Jesus Christ. Just listen to these four verses uh, in the book of Job, chapter 38, when God responds finally to Job uh, uh, after listening to the arguments that he and his friends were making. Job 38, verse 4 through 7 says this, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid, it, laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Amen? And we know that the sons of God in chapter 38, uh, it refers to the angels because Job 1 talks about it, how the sons of God came into the presence of God. So when God created everything through Jesus Christ, it was a joyous moment. It was the overflow of God's joy manifesting in creation and cross of grace. So let this summer, as you spend time out, outside enjoying God's creation, don't just rejoice in the creation but let our hearts rejoice in the Creator. Amen? Let's rejoice when we have the warm weather and you see the, see the beautiful trees and flowers with so many different colors. And when we are outside, let's rejoice in the One who created them. Amen? So the first basis of our joy is God Himself. And the second one basis of our joy is what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. This is the joy of our salvation which is basically rejoicing in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and what He has done for us on the cross. 
You know, when Jesus taught uh, the crowd and he was teaching them about the kingdom of God in parables, and one of the parables that Jesus taught the crowd was uh, this, uh, about this man who found this treasure. He says in Matthew 13, 44, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And he said, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Amen? So the salvation that we have in Christ and what Jesus did for us on the cross, the redemption, the forgiveness of sins, adopting us as his children is a treasure worth celebrating. And we should be like that man who in his joy gave up everything else that he had to buy that field which contained that treasure. Amen? That's why Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians, he says that when God sheds this light and opens our hearts to see this truth of salvation, the truth of the gospel, you know, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this, uh, the joy that we get from salvation in God and in Christ fills us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 5.11 says this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, we were all once enemies of God, but God has reconciled us back to himself, which is the greatest treasure. Amen? So let's, as God's people who have placed our trust in Christ for our salvation, rejoice in this truth that we have been saved, our debt is paid in full, and we are no longer condemned, and we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? And when, a heart is, when our hearts are filled with joy, like singing is a natural response, right? Um, I'm sure the guy, when he got the field, when he was walking to sell all that he had and to buy this field, I'm sure he had some kind of a tune in his mouth as he was walking in his joy. And so it is a natural response, and that's why when we gather as God's people on Sunday mornings, we sing and rejoice in our God. I was so blessed by the song. Thank you, Darren and, and the worship team. I was so uh, you know, blessed by the songs that we were singing, talking about the joy that we have in our God. And, um, that, that, and we see that throughout uh, the scriptures that God calls his people to do just that, and so when we come together and when there's this call to worship in the beginning of our Sunday morning service, let's be reminded that it is an opportunity. And Sunday morning should not just be a happy hour, it should be the happiest hour for God's people. Amen? When we rejoice in the God who saved us. The third one, the third basis of our joy, and this is based on our future glory that we have through the gospel. Romans 5.2 says, through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, the third basis of our joy is this, our eternal hope that we have through the gospel. And, and the psalmist David alludes to this exact same thing in Psalm 16:11, when he says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. This idea of the fullness meaning it's complete. There is one day our joy is going to be complete. It can't get better than that. That's our final destination. And we are on our way towards that final destination where there will be no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. 
and our joy on that day, our joy will be complete. The day of maximum joy. And, you know, some of us have this idea that, that heaven, we will be like this floating spirits with a harp in our hands and, and, and making music all the time, which is fun. But for me, it actually sounds boring. But, you know, if you, if you read Isaiah 65, we have this beautiful picture of this new heaven and new earth. And, it, and, it's, and it's so exciting place to be. You want to be in a place like that. But I just want to, uh, you know, draw our attention to a few things that God says about the new heaven and new earth that he creates in Isaiah 65. He says this in, in verse 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Just think about that for a moment. When we are in heaven, in eternity, none of the things that we are going through, your pain, your suffering, your anxiety, your injustice that we feel here, the former things shall not be remembered or come into our minds. And he says, be glad and rejoice in what I'm creating, this new heaven and new earth. For I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people and no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So that's the, the uh, place of heaven where there's no weeping, no crying. It's all pure joy. You know, when you buy honey from the store, it says like pure honey, unadulterated. So heaven is a place of, think about it, like concentrated joy. That's the place that God is preparing for us. And Jesus said, um, you know, when his disciples were sad that he's going to die and leave, and he said, let not your heart be troubled. In my father's house are many mansions, and I am going to prepare a place of eternal joy for you. It is a place of ultimate joy. And that's why in the parable that, uh, of the talents, the master, when he looks at each of the faithful servant, what does he say? Enjoy, enter the joy of your master. See, even the word of all the word choices that God could have used to describe, like you could have said, you know, enter my heavenly abode or, you know, this luxurious place that I've made for you. He says, enter the joy of your master. And we become part of the joy that is in the Trinity. And that has been God's plan all along to share his joy with his people. And we will be with him forever and enjoying God's joy with him for eternity. And that's why Pastor Randy Alcorn in his book called Happiness, he says this. That's how much God wants us to be happy. He'll recreate the universe, raise us from the dead, and give back the wonders of Eden, the Garden of Eden, multiplied a thousand times over. And there we live in joyful, never-ending communion with him, all bought and paid for with his own blood. Amen? That's our inheritance as God's people. And this is what we are going towards. Amen? So now, uh, so the next question is, how do we live a joyful life in this world? So we, we know the truth that God is a God of joy. And, and we know the gospel that, that saves us. And we know this future hope that we have one day that we will be with God forever in a place of eternal joy. 
But what do we do in this already not yet time, in this world where we live, where our hearts are broken and our sin is everywhere, but then we look around? Is it something that we try harder uh, and, and manufacture this joy on our own? No. Romans 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So it's not something that, that we work harder and eat healthier and, and do this and do that to, to create the joy in this meantime. But you see, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to produce, to take the truths of God's Word and to create uh, deep stirrings in our souls and to open our eyes and to cause the rivers of delight in God to flow through us. And it is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And throughout the scriptures, you always see this unique relationship between joy and the Holy Spirit. It's almost synonymous, uh, just like the power of the Holy Spirit, like joy of the Holy Spirit is very synonymous. And even Jesus talks about that he rejoices in the Holy Spirit. And so it's not um, something that we manufacture, it's the Holy Spirit does, and it is not our internal joy, but as Jesus says in John 15, 11 to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen? So it is, God is promising in his word that he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will fill us with his joy even as we live in this fallen world. Amen? Isn't that amazing? But, but before we move on, let's address a couple of, uh, you know, practical things, right? You know, some of you sitting here thinking, yeah, this is all great, but it's, I, I just lack joy. I'm not a joyful person. It's just so hard for me. It's always easy to see the broken things around me and, and, and the people that I live with, my spouse and my relatives and my coworkers, they, they, they irritate me, right? So how, how do we do that? How do we do this? And... So one helpful way to think through that and to get out of that is to look at this idea of like what is the object and source of our joy and what are we looking for? We just talked about the object of our joy being God and the gospel and the glory that we have. And, and we talked about the source of joy is the Holy Spirit, right? But if one of those things tends to get mixed up, that can cause a lack of joy. It could be a joy killer in our lives. Amen? So I was thinking, I'm a software engineer, so I thought I'll, you know, what would this algorithm look like, right? So this is what happens to most of us, right? If dash, fill in the blank, then I will be happy or joyful. Now, that could look different for each one of us. Now, as you're sitting here, think about this. What is that if for you? Is it more money? Is it the job promotion, or is it a healthier lifestyle, or is it your kids? We all have something. If this, if I could have just this, or if, if, uh, if my spouse would act a certain way, or whatever that might be. For all of us, we have some if to fill. Then I will be happy. So that shows what our eyes are focused on, or what the eyes of our heart are focused on. So when our object and source 
is not what we just talked about, then we lack joy. Uh, so when we ask God, what, what does His joy look like? What does His formula look like? If our eyes are set on Him, if it is God, the gospel, the glory, then our hearts are filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So this is what happens if a software engineer starts preaching. So, because that's how my mind works, logic. So the second practical application, how about suffering? Maybe, maybe some of us are midst of, uh, of a trying uh, situation. Maybe it's a chronic illness that you're dealing with, or it's a broken relationship, or it's a persecution based on your belief. And both Apostle Paul and Peter are helpful for us here. And Peter, writing to a persecuted church during his day, the Jewish Christians who had become, who have converted from Judaism into Christianity, he writes this in 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. And he goes on to encourage them to persevere because their trials would result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So t- sufferings are not fun. Trials are not fun. They, it brings us grief, and, and Peter acknowledges that. We have been grieved by various trials. God does not take us out of this world to save us from those trials and griefs. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trials and tribulations. But it helps us to know, as Paul describes, that these are just light and momentary afflictions. Amen? Second Corinthians 4, Paul says this, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So it's not that Paul or Peter is trying to trivialize our suffering, right? But they are talking in genuinely in terms of, um, relatively speaking, in comparison to what God is preparing for us in future. In comparison, it's actually mathematically correct because the suffering that we go through now to the glory, the weight of glory that God has prepared, it's infinite. So it is, it's not that they are trying to trivialize, it's the magnitude if you put things together side by side. So Pastor Randy Alcon has this illustration in his website about don't live for the dot, but live for the line. But he talks about the idea of the life that we live is, is just a small, tiny dot. But the eternity is, is this endless line that keeps on going. So everything that we are suffering right now, the pain, the hardship, the, uh, the broken promises, and all that we go through, it's just a tiny thing. But one day, we will live in a line, not on this dot. Amen? Amen. And um, I was reading, recently reading an article by Joni Erickson Tada, who you all know, uh, you know, has this disability that she suffers with throughout this, uh, her life, for most part of her life. And she says this, she wrote this article, she says this, I sing my way through pain in this world. Whenever I feel downcast, as I ask a few friends to pray, and then I worship Jesus with robust hymns filled with solid doctrines. Hymns that focus on the worthiness of Christ have enough spiritual muscle to barge into my discouraged soul and shake awake a hopeful response. When my weak mind is too foggy to put two sentences together in prayer, 
my heart defaults to hymns that I memorized. So that could be a practical thing, even as we live in this broken world, that we can sing our way through pain. Amen? And like Jesus, for the joy that was said, said before him, he endured the cross. And, and John Piper says this uh, in his book called In Our Joy. The reason that we can rejoice now is not only that we taste that future fellowship in hope, but also that Jesus is with us now by His Spirit. Amen? That's why Jesus said before He left His disciples, I am with you till the end of the age. Amen? The presence of Jesus with whom we are going to spend eternity is with us today. And He is with us through His Holy Spirit. And He can sustain us until we reach glory. Amen? The last one, finally, why do we need this virtue, joy? I mean, it's obvious we are commanded throughout Scriptures to rejoice in Him. Amen? We just read Philippians 4, Andrew read for us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And throughout Scriptures, in Psalms, it's filled with commands calling God's people to rejoice in Him and what God has done for us. But it's just beyond a duty as God's people to rejoice in God. But the reason why God's Word commands us to rejoice is because that's why we were created. That's our purpose, to rejoice in Him. Amen? As Westminster Catechism says, the first question in the Catechism, what is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. Amen? We were created to enjoy God. That's why the Scriptures repeatedly call us, turn away from this, whatever you're running after, to seeking joy in your life. Come back to God and rejoice in Him who is the object and source of your eternal joy. And secondly, as Andrew was talking about, during the summer, we want to reach out to our neighbors. Amen? What better way to minister and evangelize and show to the world through our joy that we have in Jesus? And, you know, if we run after the very same things that the world runs after, and we get discouraged and disappointed and distressed and despaired by the same things that the world around us gets despaired and distressed and discouraged, what difference that is make, right? But imagine, you're going through suffering, but you're still rejoicing. But you, because your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you're fixed on the hope that we have in the gospel, and, and, and you see creation, and you see uh, God's uh, beauty in, 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 that He has created, and you rejoice in Him, not just the creation. What a testimony that is to the people around us. And let the world around us see the joy that we have in Christ. And, the, and we want them to feel jealous of the joy that we have. They have to ask us, what is the, what is the secret? What is the secret of the joy that you have? And, and Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if anybody in the world ought to be happy, we are the people meaning God's people. How boundless our privileges and how brilliant our hopes. So if anybody in this world ought to be happy, it is you and me who have placed our trust in Jesus and we have this hope of eternity. Yeah. 
And our joy in God and in the gospel can show to the world that He is more valuable than all the earthly rewards that anyone can live for. And uh, that's this, this, is, this is the whole premise of the Desiring God ministries, right? The God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. And that's what Pastor John Piper uh, has built this entire ministry based on that premise that God is glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. And tying it all back to the seven virtues that we've been talking about the last six weeks, just imagine for a moment, when we are satisfied in Jesus and when we are filled with joy in God and the future glory that we have, all the other seven virtues flow naturally out of the joy. You will be, you'll be grateful. You will, you'll serve others out of the joy that you have in God. It, it makes it easier to serve. Uh, it, it's, it's easier to encourage others in Him, in Christ. And so, uh, gratitude, godliness, humility, encouragement, servanthood, and generosity can all fo- flow freely out of us from a heart that is filled with joy in God and the gospel. Amen? And they are the right responses. Again, it's not something that, that we work uh, for each of these seven virtues, try to manufacture them on our own strength. But all of these are the right, rightful responses to what God, who God is, and what He has done for us in Jesus. It's, it flows out. It's a response. It's not an activity that we do on our own, but it is in response towards who God is and what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. The gospel humbles us. The gospel leads us to give thanks. The gospel encourages us to, to build each other up, to serve one another, to be generous, and to be devoted to God in such a way that our behavior reflects the joy that we have in Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.